0: In association with the Museum of the Antiquities Project, this is Ancient Rome Refocused with your host, Rob Kane. History for the Brave
1: Welcome to episode 23 of Ancient Rome Refocused. Today on the show, we have Morgan Tobert. Morgan has a blog site called Letters to Cicero and My Other Dead Friends. Morgan writes letters to the dead, especially to Marcus Tullius Cicero. Check out his website at letterstocicero.blogspot.com. My father had the writings of Cicero high upon a shelf bound in leather with gold leaf. I don't know if he ever cracked the pages, but he kept the book as a talisman that signified knowledge and belief. Near that same book were the Federalist Papers, of which I did hear him quote, and next to that, the works of Aristotle. These books to him signified wealth and status, equal to owning a Cadillac. Morgan hails from Adelaide, South Australia. He lives on the edge of the Adelaide Hills. There's an aboriginal legend that the hills are the body of a sleeping god. The title of this episode is Where the Grapes Grow with Cicero. Though Morgan writes that Cooper's Dark Ale is the best of beers, Morgan works in wine country. In fact, he works on a vineyard. Australia is the fourth largest wine exporter in the world. What does wine need other than sun, temperature, and a hillside, especially in a warm climate? Australia has plenty of that. Morgan is a gardener that works on a vineyard. Pichabella Vineyards, 105 hectares, set just 30 miles from the Southern Ocean, produces grapes for wineries about the region. The Langhorne Creek region has a low lying floodplain southeast of Mont Barker. It is a country of gum trees, long hot summers, and a floodplain where water can be captured by dams and levees to feed the vineyards with water enriched with nutrient-rich silt. Pichabella has a seasonal tributary that brings waters to this very dry property. Morgan is a family man with a with a partner and four kids. He looks like a troubadour, all color and dash, a poet, writer, and musician that plays Middle Eastern drums, the Persian four-string sitar, backing up with ukulele, harmonica, and guitar. He plays under the name of Zebulon. Zebulon. Check out his music at zebulonstoryteller.bandcamp.com. On the show today, we are featuring his music. Zebulon is what his father wanted to name him, lifted from an old cowboy TV show. Morgan is thin like a cowboy, black-bearded, eagle-nosed, but has been known to wear a fez, giving him an exotic air. Like the Italian scholar Petrarch, Morgan writes letters to Cicero, composes music and poetry, and lives his life at the place in Morgan's own words. At the grapevine's grown? How Roman is that? I appreciate you being on the show. Thank you very much. I. Uh... Yeah, it's a great pleasure for me. Well, I know of your name because I, uh, on our Facebook page, I, I saw that you have a website uh, called Letters to Cicero. Um, what made you start that? What, what interests you about Cicero?
0: I first met Cicero, shall we say, at a little bookstore in Central Market in my home city. Um, I started reading some of his letters, and I was just overwhelmed by how alive he seemed. Um, I've always enjoyed writing letters to friends, but in this modern age, people don't tend to write very many letters. I've been a writer for most of my life, uh, so I just decided to write a letter back to him, just to tell him how pleased I was to read his letters. I thought it would just start with one letter, but now it's been two and a half years, and I'm still writing. Early on, I found the writings of a French monk called Petrarch, And I discovered that he had also written letters to Cicero and that Petrarch had written about some of the very same things that I had written to Cicero about. Felt like a very strange coincidence, a beautiful coincidence. Um, And it certainly encouraged me just to keep going, to continue studying. Petrarch said, until you have read all of Cicero's letters and really understood them, you shouldn't really engage in a debate on whether or not Cicero was good or bad. Um, and I decided that, okay, I'm going to read them all. So that's kind of where it began.
1: How long did that take you?
0: I haven't finished yet.
1: <laughs> oh, how, how many um, letters the are there? book now. How many letters are there? About
0: 800. 800? Yeah, about 800 letters, yeah. Uh, it's published in four volumes of books. I'm reading the translations by Evelyn uh, published, uh Translated in 1899, somewhere around there. Uh, so um, yeah, just up to the last part of the last book now, so the blog and all of my all of the letters were just my way of sharing and exploring my my amateur study. I was a librarian, I studied that uh, I did a bit of philosophy, a bit of ethics, um, a bit of politics at university, but I'm a farm laborer, you know I'm just a common guy with a shovel um but uh Reading these books and feeling how alive the writers are. Cicero said that the only real immortality is achieved through writing, and it it seems utterly true to me.
1: You work on a vineyard?
0: Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm a gardener at a uh, a vineyard not far from my home, Um, so I look after the, the garden around the main house. I do occasional little bits of work on the vineyard itself. But mostly, it's my job to just make things look beautiful, which is quite a nice job. Um, I've more recently started doing gardening for aged care clients, um, and so Cicero's book on old age uh, just comes continuously in handy um, as I am helping some of my aged clients negotiate their own ageing. You know, I'm forty. I feel like I'm kind of smack bang in the middle of life, but. It feels like every day that I'm out working with my aged care clients that uh, some writing of the ancient world comes in handy, um, particularly the one, to something Cicero said about uh, memory. He said that old people don't have memory problems. Everyone remembers what interests them. <laughs> You've never heard of an old man who forgot, who forgot the name of someone who owed him money. <laughs> And that line, it's just, just that, always brings a smile to the face of the elderly people that I work with, um, as they remember that all of their most valuable memories are the ones that they remember, and that it, that it is true that people do remember what interests them. And, you know, I'm working with one woman who's 91. Uh, she's begun telling me some stories about living through the Depression, living through the Second World War. Yeah, there's a remarkable storehouse of wisdom in these people. They often feel like their memories and their wisdom isn't useful. Um, so when I sit down and, and talk to them about Cicero, it's, I, I don't know, it feels like a really lovely way to connect with them.
1: Somehow, for a guy who's into Cicero, it just seems really appropriate that you're a gardener and you work at a vineyard. Uh, somehow that just seems uh, appropriate, like you're an old Roman. Look,
0: it felt that way one day around the time I wrote the first letter um, I must have read a letter from Cicero that uh, he'd gone out to one of his properties and the, he spoke about his own vines. And so I just wrote a letter to him saying, look, hey, you know, I was on my vineyard today. Um, there was a great wind that uh, blew over the whole land like a, an invisible beast. And I wondered what the weather was like at your place today. His letters make him feel so alive that it's easy to write back to him to thank him for his latest letter. You know, I I just treat it as if he's just sent it to me. Uh, But I I don't, I'm not writing uh, a response letter for letter. I just search through his letters until I find something that particularly interests me. Um, So at the moment, uh, there's been some great stuff. I found uh, a letter from Mark Antony written to Cicero in uh, the 24th of April, uh, B.C., 44, Mark Antony, in a part of the letter, kind of threatens Cicero. Uh, He says, Although your fortunes, my dear Cicero, are now, I feel assured, removed from every danger. Nevertheless, I think you would prefer spending a peaceful and honored old age rather than one full of anxiety. And I was just, I love the undertone of threat. I went and looked through Cicero's uh, biography and found reference to exactly that threat, Uh, so other people have noticed that as well. Reading Cicero's letters, you know, it seems like he's... Everyone knows about Caesar. Lots of people know about Mark Antony, but nobody knows about the guy who knew them both. And that Cicero sat in between all of these historically significant figures and he writes about them in his letters. I think that's why I feel, now that I've gotten really deep into Roman study, I think if you really want to understand it, you have to read Cicero because he writes personally. He's not writing a history book, although he does write history books, but his letters are his personal thoughts about those people. Um, You know, Caesar's books on the Civil War and the Gallic War, they feel quite personal but you know that they are propaganda. You know that they're full of misinformation. But when you hear Cicero talking to his best friend Atticus about some of those same events, you know that he's speaking the truth, particularly when he's talking to Atticus. He, he confesses his heart's fears. Uh, there's a, another great letter just recently that I read where he writes to a guy called Caius Matthias, So this is after Caesar has been killed. Uh, Cicero was friends with Caius Matthias for most of his life. Uh, He says, As far back as I can remember, I have no older friend than yourself. He says that to a few people, which I don't think makes the statement disingenuous. I think that Cicero is rightly famous for his friendships. You know, his book On Friendship, he obviously valued that quality of relationship very deeply, but in here he he mentions. Okay, so during the civil war, when Pompey uh, left Rome, Cicero, in this letter to Caius Matius, says, uh, "Then followed the period in which, whether you call it shame or duty or fortune, compelled me to go abroad to join Pompey." You know, Cicero, uh, Caesar never really admits to weakness. I think it's one of Cicero's great strengths and a great fortune we have in being able to read him in that he admits to his failures. He admits to his weakness. And I think that's something really that only a strong person can do. And that makes him so utterly relatable. Cicero's story is not one of success. It's it's a long, uh, kind of, well, almost a long downwards uh, spiral to failure and eventually his murder, and that that makes his story so much more real. He's not a superhero. Um, he was a politician, a very verbose speaker, perhaps too much so. But he believed in the middle ground. He wanted to make peace, but he failed, like so much in life uh, fails, and that makes him so relatable. Yeah, I feel like I could just rant about him all the time. But, uh, hopefully you've got some more questions.
1: <laughs> well, but he, he... Am I wrong, though? He did uh, meet his end uh, bravely, did he not?
0: He lived in an age where people were being killed all the time. You know, the senatorial assassinations uh, are horrific. Uh, and the, the letter that I'd like to read, one of my letters to Cicero, is about the, um, the Catiline conspiracy. So I think he has both good and uh, poor qualities. I've read the, the letters that Cicero wrote about uh, uh, campaigning. Uh, I think he wrote it to his brother. He's got some very unkind things to say about Cleopatra, uh, which is, are quite funny, and that's after Caesar's death. We know about Pompey so much because of, uh, of Cicero, and that if you really want to understand the Civil War, you've got to understand who Pompey was. Um, you know, Plutarch's biography of him is excellent, when you get the perspective of Pompey's lifelong friend and how Cicero wanted to stay loyal to him, he did everything in power to try to stay loyal to Pompey, but in the end, he was disgusted by both sides. He said, I would rather lose with one side than win with the other. And I think he's really saying, that statement could be said about, either side, you know, it kind of doesn't, doesn't matter if that he recognized the corruption and violence of Pompey's forces and the corruption and violence of, Caesar, of uh, Caesar's side, that he just felt stuck in between these people that he tried to be friends with his whole life, tried to make peace with, you know, when the first triumvirate was really formed, he knew things weren't right, he tried to make sure that peace would maintain, but then of course Pompey's wife. Caesar's daughter died and it all just fell to pieces. He tried to make peace at every stage. He tried to make peace until his last battle, until the Philippics, until Mark Antony. And then he really dug his feet in, I think, and did his best to defend what he thought was the right thing. And uh, he was killed for it.
2: Letters to Cicero. Book 1. Letter 8. To Cicero. On Antony. Late May 2018 CE. Dearest Cicero, I have been pondering something that you said. The long time to come, when I shall not exist, has more effect on me than this short present time which nevertheless seems endless. I exist in that long time to come. I am one for whom your immortality is a living reality, and though I am small, tiny in comparison with your greatness, I too feel the force of the future, pulling me forward into my destiny and beyond, into death and the vast, wavering darkness of the endless centuries after I am gone from the world and all memory of me is gone. Inspired by the living pulse of your writing, I write. Inspired by your immortality, I strive to become immortal, to live a life worthy of immortality. Now I sit writing in a tavern situated on the broad road leading north from the city to the port. I am drinking locally brewed cold ale from a clear glass. As the sunset grows grey with the early autumn evening, workmen come in, their bright work clothes stained with the day's labours. One man steps down from his stool to rekindle the fire in its hearth, while the bar girl lights a second fire in the next room. I have Plutarch with me, The Rise and Fall of Athens. He's a bit after your time, about eighty years between your death and his birth, but this book is telling stories from five hundred or more years before you. I wonder, do you know the legends of Theseus, founder of Athens? I assume you do. Today I was in a comic book store, and there it was on the shelf, in hard cover, the story of Theseus and the Minotaur. I've been listening to another audiobook this week, The Life of Cicero by Anthony Trollope, written in the 1870s. I've been hearing today of your return from exile, which you might be interested to know is a method of punishment not in use at all anymore, and your involvement in the trial of Milo regarding the murder of Clodius. It is a fascinating story of corruption and senatorial gang warfare, and your speech seems credited as a very early example of legal forensics. What a bloody and frightening time to be in Rome, yet you seemed to be reluctant to leave it when granted the position of Governor of Cilicia, which everyone writes of as a year of magnificent leadership. This reluctance to leave Rome I find remarkable. I do not feel the same sense of devotion to my own nation that you seem to, and in finding myself so I feel that I am somehow impoverished by a certain lack of pride in my home country, My modern cynicism seems to prevent it. But about your governorship in Cilicia, I think that I should quote Plutarch for you, from his biography of your life. Gifts he would not receive, not even when the kings offered them. And he relieved the provincials from the expense of entertainments, but he himself daily received men of pleasing accomplishments at banquets which were not expensive, although generous. His house, too, had no doorkeeper, nor did anyone ever see him lying abed, but early in the morning he would stand or walk in front of his chamber and receive those who came to pay him their respects. It is said, moreover, that he never ordered any man to be chastised with rods or to have his raiment torn from him, and that he never inflicted angry abuse or contumelious punishments. He discovered that much of the public property had been embezzled, and by restoring it, he made the cities well-to-do, and men who made restitution he maintained in their civil rights without further penalties. He engaged in war, too, and routed the robbers who made their homes on Mount Ammonus, And for this, he was actually saluted by his soldier soldiers as imperator.
0: He believed in the Republic, which... It seems that by the time he was living, the Republic really was already dead, um, that it was a very corrupted system. But he believed in it. He believed that, that a virtuous man uh, could, li- could lead the Senate to virtuous decisions. Um, and certainly in the time when he was the leader of the Senate fighting against Mark Antony, he really believed that his virtues could somehow steer the entire Roman state in the right direction. I think he was mistaken. (laughs) Um, I think he believed a little too hard in his own abilities and he didn't realize that the the cause was already lost, but I can't blame him for that. I can't criticize him at all for, for wanting to believe in a better, a better way or uh, that, that Rome might be saved in his eyes. I think he was a, a kind gentleman. When I read the letters that he writes to his, uh, his his secretary, I suppose you can say Tiro, who was a slave but who earned his freedom, or well, Cicero gave him his freedom, and uh, Tiro continued to work for Cicero as a freedman. He is very kind. He very concerned for the health and well-being of his servants, um, and the love that he expresses to Tiro. It raised a very interesting question, Uh, you know, can a slave ever love a master? What is going on in a relationship between a slave and a master? Of course, it's, it's so different in every different slave culture. I read once in a book on the history of American slavery that there are two kinds of slave masters, the cruel and the kind, and that the kind slave master is the cruelest of all because he makes the slave feel guilty for hating him and wanting his own freedom. And that's always stuck with me, like just that idea, like, you know, what kind of a relationship can a slave ever have with uh, their master? Even if the master is kind, Cicero was very kind, but he also gave gave Tiro his freedom, and they continued to work together for years afterwards. So that, I think, is a real indication of Cicero's humanity, that he knew that freedom had value, You know, the the Romans are often writing about how shameful it is to be made a slave, um, but they don't tend to really care about people once they've become slaves. Their well-being and their feelings just don't seem to matter. To Cicero, the fact that he did free Tiro says that he did think about that. Um, He doesn't write about it terribly often, but I think the fact that Tiro preserved all of Cicero's letters preserved all of his other writing is a sign that Tiro returned that love. You know, if he felt that he'd been mistreated by Cicero, or he didn't care, he wouldn't have done that. He wouldn't have kept up that work after Cicero's death. It would have certainly been much safer for Tiro, I imagine, just to distance himself completely after Cicero's murder. But he, he didn't. And you know, it's because of Tiro's work that we have the letters so I think Cicero is a humanitarian. You know, Some biographers say that his, some of his ideas are precursors to the Christian notions of charity, um, a goodwill towards men. Um, and you can certainly see that not just in Cicero, but some other writers from that time, that that kind of philosophy, that kindness towards all humans is bubbling up in Rome before the birth of Christ. Cicero is accused by some biographers of vacillation of being, you know, a weathercock and blowing as the breeze goes, and I think that that kind of criticism is something that people who are stuck in their ways level at people who change their mind when they find a better way. He knew when he was wrong well. He knew when to leave the Pompeian side. Um, he knew that if he lived, then he might still serve the Republic, and that's what he believed in. So he. He decided that he would rather live and live under the tyranny of Caesar. You know, while Cato committed suicide rather than live on under tyranny, Cicero said, I would rather live because I feel like I can still do some good. And so he suffered the shame of living as a slave under a tyrant um, of Caesar. And some of his letters, he really expresses it quite like that. I just keep reading. I keep talking uh, to people about it. It's so engaging, the whole story because these people seem so alive in their writings.
2: letters to Cicero book one letter 8 to Cicero on Antony late May 2018 CE there are few politicians of my own century who might receive such a glowing review of their achievements this age seems marred by the same impious disregard for good governance that your own was a political era defined more by its lies than its honesty. Is it my modern cynicism, or does that sound familiar to you too, Cicero? Which brings me to the next question. Mark Antony. I know you probably don't want to talk about him, but I was listening to your philippics. The things you attest as to Mark Antony's behaviour are shocking even now, perhaps even more shocking than in your own time. From the stories I read, Roman conventions of acceptable behaviour included things considered debauchery now, but the claims you make of Antony are fantastic. There is a single-minded madness to his continued abuses of himself and to his dereliction of duty. It hardly seems possible that such things could be true, let alone known by the public and tolerated. His alcoholism is legendary, as are his sexual appetites, but the tragedy of Pompey's home is what I really want to address. Just to make sure I'm getting it right, I'll tell you what I know. Pompey the Great. A military and civil leader of such renown and nobility that his name is nearly synonymous with ceremonial splendor in my own language. Pompey, whose army was finally defeated by Caesar's, and who fled to Egypt only only to be murdered on the shores of the Nile by two of his own guards. Pompey, whose head was then severed and presented to Caesar in a jar by King Ptolemy, brother of Cleopatra. Pompey, whose house upon his death was put up for auction, and which was purchased by Antony. Antony, who, you assert then, squandered Pompey's substantial fortune, not in a few months, but in a few days, whole storerooms disposed of as gifts to unmitigated scoundrels, Actors and actresses, grabbing everything they wanted, the place packed with gamblers, crammed with inebriates. For days on end, in many parts of the house, the orgies of drinking went on and on. Pompey, whose house for months afterwards no one could pass without weeping. Mark Antony, this dull brute, this insane drunk, this spineless, morally corrupted idiot, this gangster, Mark Antony, is this the man on whose order you were murdered? You, Cicero, saviour of Rome, you who defeated the Catiline conspiracy, you who spoke out against Verres, you, Cicero, who were an eloquent voice of reason and intellect and justice, and who post-mortem have become the eloquent voice of generations more, who speak with your words and with your convictions and with your passions. You, Cicero, murdered, and your corpse desecrated by Herennius, a centurion, and Pompilius, a tribune, on the orders of that inebriated imbecile, Mark Antony, you, Cicero, whose last words are recorded as, There is nothing proper about what you are doing, soldier, but do try to kill me properly. You, Cicero, whose legend, immortalized by Plutarch, has survived to this day, Then he himself, clasping his chin with his left hand, as was his wont, looked steadfastly at his slayers, his head all squalid and unkempt, and his face wasted with anxiety, so that most of those that stood by covered their faces while Herennius was slaying him. For he stretched his neck forth from the litter and was slain, being then in his 64th year. Herennius cut off his head, by Antony's command, and his hands, the hands with which he wrote the Philippics. For Cicero himself entitled his speeches against Antony, Philippics, and to this day the documents are called Philippics.
0: You could look around and uh, believe that the Roman Empire never fell. Uh, You know, Parliament House in my own home city in Adelaide, uh, it's a Roman-style building. Um, I've been reading a little bit about the foundation of Roman laws and the transition from Roman law into modern law, Uh, and all of our modern lawmakers, of course, were reading the old classics, and when they were building our law systems, of course, they were thinking about ancient Rome. Um, I've heard that there are six towns in America called Cicero. Yeah, it makes me feel that history didn't happen in the past. It's happening right now. Those ancient events are still influencing modern politics because people who are talking about politics have read those ancient classics and are using those as a contextual comparison to understand what's going on today. Um, I read uh, something to do with a certain trick, a technique in speeches that Cicero would use that Trump also uses. Um, which is to say, I'm not going to tell you about my opponent's bad habits, because everybody knows all about them, uh, which is a way of saying, I'm not going to tell you, but here I am telling you. Oh, yeah. Um, so so the oratorical methods used by Cicero are still being used today. Now, whether or not Trump studied Cicero, I kind of doubt it. Um, but loads of public speakers have studied it. So Cicero is still teaching us. So the ancient world is still happening. and right now we are living in someone else's ancient history and that 2000 years from now, and I suppose that's part of my egotism is that I hope that 2000 years from now, someone will read my letters to Cicero and find them as fascinating as I find Cicero's letters to his own friends. Um, I don't have a, a group, um, on Facebook. I just post my links onto all of the other Roman history sites on Facebook. Um, Uh, And I get some feedback, uh, some really useful um, uh, critiques. Uh, A a couple of years ago, I wrote a long piece on uh, Thucydides and the Peloponnesian War, looking at uh, the fact that Thucydides only mentions women twice in the whole book. But it's only in the very last stages of the book where he really talks about the plight of, of women and civilians in general. And you can see that Thucydides has been really worn down by the war. He doesn't speak so cheeringly anymore. He's disgusted by the violence. You can, you can kind of feel his sadness. And I got some, uh, some pretty uh, great critiques from people who thought that I was, you know, um, just totally shooting off the mark and even talking about that, that uh, the attitudes of people towards women were so different back then. And I but I, the fact that people were just willing to disagree with me was fascinating and I loved it. And I got to talk to them and realize that I had made some mistakes in my assessment of Thucydides. And, you know, the first thing that I do whenever someone disagrees with me is I thank them for it. Uh, I think it's, that's the most useful thing that a person could do. Uh, if you just disagree, if you just agree, Hey, that, that was a lovely post. Well, I haven't learned anything. Uh, <laughs> it just kind of confirms my own bias. And, uh, my knowledge increases. Uh, when someone corrects my mistake, I become better by accepting that. Um, you know, Marcus Aurelius says uh, in quite a few times in the book Meditations that, um, uh, you know, only a fool would hold on to an idea once he's been proven wrong, um, and that it's a real mark of virtue to be flexible in your thinking. So when people tell me that I've, done, I've made a mistake, I've got something wrong, they disagree with me, Brilliant. That's just, that's exactly what I want to hear.
1: Well, here's your chance. Yep. Uh, you what ahead. letters of Cicero would you recommend someone to read?
0: Okay, which which specific letters? Um, do you mean from my blog or his private letters? Either one. Well, I the, the letter I would like to read to you today is uh, book 2, letter 21, uh, to Cicero on Catiline. I think that's it. Uh, like, that's a really interesting uh, example. But of... In the fourth book of his letters that I would really recommend to people, uh, to Caius Matthias. And I think that one's really fascinating because we have uh, Caius Matthias' reply. There are so few replies that have been preserved. Um, but this one stands out and it just makes the hair on my the back of my neck stand up reading it. Caius Matthias was uh, a Caesarian. He belonged he was loyal to Caesar's policies. But Cicero had been friends with him most of his life. The letter is written after Caesar's death. Uh, You know, things are just getting worse in Rome every day. But the letter between these two just expresses their love for each other, that they've always been able to support each other. You know, Caius Matthias helped Cicero find his feet again in Rome after he'd come back from fighting on the side of Pompey. That really stands out as a letter worth reading. Um, uh, The letter number, so D-C-C-L-X-X-X-I, but it's in the fourth book of his letters. And there's only a couple of letters that he's written to Caius Matthias, so if people search on the internet, it's not going to be hard to find. Um, I found that somebody's written an entire book about those letters to Caius Matthias and the language that Cicero uses that kind of really highlights the, the high-minded, polite language of Cicero, that he really did his best to be ingratiating and polite and kind in so many of his letters. There's uh, quite a few that Cicero writes to um, Marcus Brutus uh, that are worth, very worth reading. There's some letters that uh, Cicero writes to Caesar. He, that's, that's the great thing about Cicero's letters is that they're not political documents. They're his private letters. They were never intended for publication. So they, I feel like they give you a slightly more honest depiction of the, who Cicero is because he's speaking in his own language in the way he wants to be presented but also of the people that he writes to. And when you're lucky enough to have the replies, so I think there is one or two letters from Caesar to Cicero, you get a better picture of who the people really were. You know, Caesar's books are magnificent, but there's no denying that they are intended to be, you know, political propaganda. But Caesar's private letters show him just as a, as a person. You know, he's he's less of a political figure. So I guess those... Those are definitely what I would recommend to people to read. They give you that context, Cicero knew all of those people and he wrote about them in his private, private letters.
2: Letters to Cicero, Book 1, Letter 8. To Cicero, on Antony. Late May, 2018 CE. My question, though I do not wish to ask it or to know your answer... Could it really be true that the flame of your glorious life was snuffed out by the rough, dismissive ignorance of an ignoble, power-mad drunk? Can lights as bright as yours truly be extinguished by such dull and gloomy death-bringers? That you are dead no one can dispute. I found a photo of your tomb. Born January 3rd, 106 BCE. Died. December 7th, 43 B.C. That you lived, none can deny, for despite your unjust end, the justice and veracity of your life has lived on through your writing. The long time to come, when I shall not exist, has more effect on me than this short present time, which nevertheless seems endless. So I living in that endless time after your existence came to an end, write to you, dear Cicero, with admiration and a
1: growing sense of wonder, Morgan. For for our listeners, uh, could you describe the area you live in, the part of Australia where you're kind? You don't have to give your address, but the location and the, and the environment.
0: Okay. Um, I live uh, just outside a small town called Strathalbyn. Uh, it's in between the Adelaide Hills, which is a beautiful, lush, uh, forested area uh, near the coast of South Australia, so the very bottom end of Australia. Uh, but I live out more towards where it gets flat, where the grapevines grow, sandy soil. Uh, around my house is a small kind of forest of gum trees when it's green as it is right now uh, it looks a bit like uh, I imagine Scotland looks like big hills with rocks everywhere occasional trees Um, in the summer when it all dries out it makes me think more of Afghanistan (laughs) Uh, but it's a very beautiful part of the world Uh, some of the other parts of the Adelaide Hills make me think of uh, you know French farming land Uh, it's Yeah, the land of milk and honey, in a way. Uh, It's a real paradise region of Australia. Uh, Most of Australia, of course, is desert. And where I live, it's only got a rainfall of about 400 mil of rain a year, so it's very low. But there's still a lot that goes on out here. But it's a rural area. I'm an hour's drive from the city of Adelaide, um, which I suppose most Americans wouldn't even consider a city. It's so small. Look, it's, it's a beautiful place.
1: Morgan, you're a poet.
0: So that, that's, a, that's a fair... Dis-
1: Morgan? Thank you. You're a poet. Yes, thank you. Uh, thank you. I am. <laughs> so, uh, listen, uh, thank you very much for taking the time with me. And it does sound like you live in a beautiful part of the country. And I've, I've just been listening to your podcast this week. Um, it's incredible. It is absolutely incredible.
0: Um, your podcast I just listened to the episode... Uh, about whether or not a battalion of marines could take over the entire empire. Um,
1: <laughs> uh, incredible. Uh, like, well, what,
0: what amazing interviews.
1: But listen, Morgan, it's been great. You, you please, have, please have a good, for you would be a good day.
0: Yes, it is. <laughs> well, thank you very much. It's been wonderful.
1: All right, take care. Okay, you too. Bye. Bye-bye. If you want to hear more of Morgan's letters to Cicero and other great persons in history, go to his blog site, Letters to Cicero and My Other Dead Friends. We are including some bonus material you can download from Hipcast where we will post a reading by Morgan himself of a letter to Herodotus. Also a full length uninterrupted version of the background music titled Dumpster Fire will be posted on the show. For download, If you're enjoying the opening music during my introduction, the full-length versions can be obtained at zebulonstoryteller.bandcamp.com. The title of the musical pieces are Gar Street Dance, Carcillamus, and Taken North of Egypt. Special thanks to Ryan Francis Gardy for his contribution on bass. In the meantime, take a detour and daydream your way to adelaide music poetry and wine see you next time on ancient roman focus